0: Welcome back to the Service Design Podcast. This episode is going to be another live episode uh, that we recorded at our Arena event in Brussels. Stina, what was the topic of this event?
1: Well, for this Arena edition, we chose a topic, human-centered organizations. We really wanted to talk about uh, how big organizations, also small organizations actually, can become human-centered. So both centered on their end users, but also on their own uh, employees.
0: Yeah. So we focused this event uh, looking at both becoming human centered from the inside. So we're with designers on the inside of an organization and designers on the outside. How did this work in the choice of the speakers?
1: Yeah. So it's often a question that we get, like, how should we implement human centered design or service design? Should we work with consultancies? Should we work with uh, from the inside? So hire service designers or other types of researchers, designers. And we think it's a mix, but we, uh, we really in this event, we wanted to invite two speakers that both come from the, yeah, from a different perspective. So we have one person really from the inside and one who works at a design consultancy. And even they have a different perspective. We noticed that it was actually quite similar what they were applying in the organization.
0: Mm. So don't keep us uh, waiting. <laughs> who, who did you uh, did we invite for the event?
1: Yes, yeah, so we invited two really inspiring women. Actually, uh, one was Kara uh, Kane, and she works as a community uh, manager at Coffee UK. And her job really is to uh, bring people together to talk and really do (laughs) user-centered design in the organization. So what she's doing at GovUK is she's setting up communities where people uh, learn from each other, how they can become more user-centered. She's really bringing the skills inside the organization. So giving trainings to people, telling them how projects could be done in a more qualitative way. So really uh, designing the organization actually Towards customer centricity. And then on the other side, we had uh, Olga Skupin. She's co founder of Fuchsblau, and Fuchsblau is a German service design agency. And she's working with a lot of different companies in Germany to help them become more uh, human centered. So, a totally different perspective, more project based work, but very inspiring as well.
0: You uh, pointed out, yeah, they were two uh, female speakers. Mm-hmm. I don't it wasn't really intentional uh, to invite two female speakers, but I did notice in the audience there were some people who really appreciated the fact that uh, that they were female speakers as they were often used to having male speakers at these type of events.
1: Yes. And what was actually also interesting is that one of the speakers, Kara, she also asked us in the beginning before the event. And uh, if I remember well, uh, Gov UK is actually also—they really are investing in uh, diversity in the organization. So they really want to make sure that all kind of people are part of their organization and when uh, some of their employees go uh, to speak at another event, they really ask "Like, is it not a typical conference where only uh, old men are on the stage and then uh, they have to prove it's not. So uh, luckily we, uh, <laughs> we were doing right there and uh, she could join us on the stage.
0: Mm, that's great. One thing that really stood out for me this uh, edition of Arena more than other editions is how people in the audience uh, who who were not service designers were really enthusiastic about service design they uh, came up to us saying i want to do this too what what do you think was it about this evening that that made people want to become service designers
1: Uh, i think what they both did really well was show that it shouldn't always be as complex or not to start at least so uh, you can really start small like uh, Olga gave some great examples on how to bring more empathy with employees and she explained that in a project they actually invited employees from different levels of the organization to try out the service themselves and that gave like so many insights and really created empathy towards the end user because a lot was going wrong in their own service which they never thought would go wrong and that worked really well and that was just a small action. And other things like letting uh, the clients join the user test so they can see the users, uh, see the users often struggling with some small things, which really makes them realize uh, how important it is to design more uh, user-centered uh, services.
2: Mm.
0: Olga also talked about how it sometimes can be very hard to, uh, to sell research to clients uh, that they don't really see the value uh, a trick she shared. Uh, i think yeah, we'll hear about that later on in in the round table she talked about yeah pretending you're going to do something else but actually doing uh, research anyway what did you think about that part
1: yeah i remember there was even a small discussion <laughs> there during the questions I think I fully agree with that, but I don't think it should be totally pretending you're doing something else. It's just part of a good design process. So, if you tell clients you're going to go through an iterative design process, it's just normal that research is part of it. And of course, you can say it's part of the design process because otherwise, we will not deliver a good design. And what I do totally agree with is that we shouldn't uh, do like a huge research track in the beginning to then so that we should sell that before and then only start building so uh, i think yeah i do fully agree with the fact that we should just make it part of the process and not sell it as like a separate thing in our project
0: Mm -hmm. so we're gonna let you hear Kara and Olga yourselves. Unfortunately, due to a technical issue, we don't have the uh, talks themselves for you to listen to, but we do have the roundtable discussion. We're going to pick up the discussion just after we asked our first question. We asked, can every organization become human-centered? And you'll hear Olga pick up with an answer to that question. Enjoy the roundtable.
2: Enjoy Of course, I think uh, every organization can become user-centered. And I think it's just a question of, as Kara said, where there's a will, there's a way. I think if if you want to do something, you you can. And organizations just have to shift their focus a bit on how they allocate time and budget. And I think then it it can be done.
0: (laughs) And does this will have to be at the top of the organization do the people in charge need the will or is it also possible do you think to to make a organization human centered from the bottom up
2: i think both is important i think uh, you have to have buy-in from top level management because they are in the end the ones that make decisions but it's not enough if you just have managers who say okay let's be more human centered i think you also have to explain to your employees why this is important and what it really means and I think if you attack this challenge from both sides then it can definitely be done
1: You talked a lot about the different kind of designers that you have at Gov UK but I'm curious actually if, if you do those trainings or the community, are most of the people that are part of it designers or is it more the civil servants that are part of it and how do you make like a Distinctions of designers that really do design work and the civil servants that are more also following the principles and the guidelines of design thinking?
3: Yeah, so the the designers are, are civil servants as well. So at our training, we like to have multidisciplinary groups there, and we're tending more and more to have more non designers attending our training and our events. And we see that as really good because we need to help. Other people understand the process, understand why we work in this way, um, and understand the approaches and techniques. Not every department has the resource and has the budgets to hire these people in, so we don't want to hold design as our kind of our secret thing. Like it's important for us to share that out and to help upskill other people. So we have, yeah, product managers, delivery managers, business analysts attending our training um, and finding it really useful. Mm-hmm.
0: So, um, Olga, you tried to change organizations from the outside in. Kara, uh, you are on the inside. What would you two say are the advantages and disadvantages of the two approaches?
2: I think the, um, one of the advantages maybe we have, I don't know, correct me if, if I'm wrong. I feel like a lot of times we are actually hired because people see the need. And maybe they already know what's wrong in their organization, but they need someone external to point the finger at where it hurts. Okay. And I think that can be an advantage. It doesn't necessarily mean that everybody in the organization already sees this need, but I think it can be an advantage because we don't have to then sell so much you know, service design and research and this and this because people already say, okay, please come and do it, you know. On the other hand, what I always admire about public sector is you really create value for people. (laughs) I think that must be a very satisfying feeling. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, of course I'm happy when our clients are happy, but maybe increasing market share for someone doesn't necessarily solve users' problems in crisis, for example. Mm -hmm. I think one of our... Advantages is
3: just really understanding the context quite in depth, and being able to to kind of work collaboratively on these like on the the tools and components and patterns that I mentioned to be able to put in all of that effort behind that that thing um, to help people collaborate across across organizations and across across professions, and I think it is really useful to have that kind of that outside perspective or that outside persons that come in and say, this is what you need to do and that's that's harder in government. And I think it's my perspective from from GDS that the central central bit of government and the way that we're positioned, in the way that we've been been mandated, we have a very different relationship we kind of do have that consultative relationship with departments, so sometimes that can be us um, to go in and say, this is what you need to do. So it's, yeah, it's a bit different. Yeah.
1: We actually, we were thinking about uh, the name of the event before, should we call it user-centered, customer-centered, human-centered, and then at the end we uh, chose human-centered because we believe it's very important to also design for the uh, people who actually have to implement the service And also make sure that they are along with uh, the ideas that come up and that you can co-create it with them. Is that something that you also uh, do at Fuchsblau? And can you explain a little bit more how you you tackle that?
2: I think in general, in the field of service design and design thinking, there's also so much confusion about terminology. You know, what do you mean by that? What do I mean by that? And I think I like that you called it human-centered because in the end... We are all humans and uh, we can be a user, we can be a customer, but in the end, we are still human. And I think that should be the focus. And we can turn a human being into many things for our business, for example. But those factors, and that's also what I wanted to tap into a little bit in my presentation, are what really connects us in that way. And I think that's also how it is possible to be maybe more empathetic is because we are all humans and we have all maybe been in similar situations and we create these things that you are the customer and you are the user and you are the person that pays and where is the the line between the different things and I think when people tend to say okay let's get down to business they tend to forget that all business is people business in the end
3: because for for government we we talk about users uh, one of our many stickers is customers crossed out with users written underneath, and I think that's an important distinction for government: is that people have to use our services. Sometimes they don't have an alternative, and they are users of a service, and we—that's why we describe them that way.
1: Yeah
0: yeah i sometimes also would cross out the the user and and then turn that into human because i think sometimes we forget also there's more people than just the the end users the citizens but also the people who have to provide the services Uh, in what way do you go about including those people in in the process and in the designing
3: Yes, yeah, so I guess we at GDS, we design mostly for other civil servants, so they are our users. So we have another mantra is that civil servants are users, too. And that's an important distinction. And there's people that are working on in other departments as well that are mainly focused on internal services and making sure that they can create patterns and components that are reusable across organizations in that in that bit as well. Okay,
1: great. Thanks. So we have some time for some uh, questions from the audience. I'm not sure if someone is brave enough already. Yes.
3: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Please
1: uh, just shout out and I will uh, repeat it in the microphone for the listeners. I Natal with the
3: innovative items I just a because you have a governmental experience.
1: So basically what has been the
3: biggest obstacle walking with the
1: government, because at the beginning, before setting up the community, Meetups, you had this obstacle that they were not so happy to give you away part of their job, so it means that they were creating for the users or for you. And they probably look at you and What are you going to do
3: with our things? Will you not mess up the wall?
1: So, what were the biggest obstacles and how you tackled them? Because you said about the meetups.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And the, the other question was like, if you could explain one of the most human services that you so TV as possible would you be? The one which you most denied or you, you thought is most human it. Yeah, so we got a question from the audience. I will uh, repeat the first one and count on David for the second one. <laughs>
2: um,
1: no, I the first... the first one too. <laughs> we will uh, first answer the first question. What kind of obstacles uh, did kara or colleagues face in building a community at gov uk uh, around user centricity
3: so i've been at gds for 2 years now so i can speak to some of the kind of current obstacles and one of them which seems quite simple is just having one platform for people to be able to share so there's departments that don't have access to google drive that don't use trello that can't access YouTube, there's just really, you know, things that are locked down that they don't have access to. And in my department, we use Google Drive, we use Trello, we use Slack, and it's part of my daily routine and part of my my way of working. So that's a constant struggle is trying to help help those people that are in those locked down systems feel like they're part of the community and feel like they can join in. Um, and sometimes that's just teaching them workarounds with incognito browsers. I think another thing is just the, I guess, the findability and like the awareness that the community exists. So I generally know that there's designers in a department because there's a head of design or there's a design lead there that is connected to me. And if you don't have a design, if you don't have design leadership, then it's harder to find out about the community resources. So that's something that I'm trying to work on is how we can kind of create better better inductions for people to understand what the community is and why it exists and what the benefits are of it and how to get involved. So from everything from attending to a meetup to contributing to the design system, how can we help people engage and participate at every level in which they feel comfortable with.
0: Any more questions? I'm gonna change the plan here and I'm gonna try and uh, get the mic in the audience. So hi, I work for a local government.
1: And uh, we noticed that uh, local governments, they have a lot of customer interactions. I think um, lots of people, the first contact they have with the government is with the local government. So I guess the question is for Cara. How do you engage with local governments? Because you work for GovUK, but how can local governments learn from your guidelines? Do you offer services to local governments to better their design thinking approaches?
3: I was speaking to someone earlier tonight about this. So we have done, you described them as some experiments on collaborating with local government. So something that we did about a year ago was working on service patterns for local government. So we have these patterns that exist for like in the design system that I mentioned earlier. But then how can you create patterns for local government? So for things like parking permits. Every kind of area has a different way of doing parking permits. So how can you have one joined up experience for that? So we've we've kind of supported um, and given service design expertise to a group of councils that were working on that. And we now also have something called, I think it's called the local government kind of collaboration, which is trying to see how we can help local government learn from the things that we've done. So for instance, the design principles that we have, the service standard that we have, how can that be adapted for local government? I, can't, I don't know too much about it, so I can't speak more about it. But for the things that I do and the events and the training that I run, we always try and have a couple spots for local government because, as you said, they're part of that end-to-end journey, and it's really important to get their perspective, to get their understanding, um, and to get them in the room so that we can share and learn as much as we can from them.
1: Thank you. Another question? So I was wondering about design research, right? So you said, let's hide the research costs in other areas, like prototyping. Um, I was wondering if you are really into empathy, wouldn't it be more worth it to use your design skills to create empathy for design research rather than hiding it in prototyping?
2: (laughs) I think that's where the business background comes back in. At some point, as a managing director, I need people to sign the contract. No, but I mean, of course, I understand your point. And, I mean, I don't cross it out, so it's not like there is no research. There is a research, but the fact that it's very people-intense just makes it expensive. And I think that's something that's sometimes hard for others to understand when they say we could be sending out a survey. Now, what happens, we actually build long-term relationships with our clients, so our customer satisfaction rate is very high, they, they come back. So we work with clients over one, two, three, four years on small projects. So by the third time they work with us, they will even say, ah, and what are we doing for research? And should we not try something new? I heard you guys did this career research for your other clients. I also want that, you know? So I think it's always a mix of making it transparent and explaining the importance, but you can explain for days and days and days, I think the effect that you can trigger or you can create when someone actually does something themselves is a lot bigger. So I would prefer to shift a few of the costs from a proposal to a different segment and then just tell them, hey, why don't you come along for the research? Why don't you have a look at how it goes? To get them to experience it firsthand than to argue with the buying department who isn't even involved in the project most of the times, because it's not the person who asks for a proposal that's going to approve it, you know. So a lot of times the people that we end up negotiating with have nothing to do. The so
1: next time you invite the buying department to come, they're
2: Yeah, they're also, yeah, could try that. But
1: I think also at the same time, It is important to get something concrete out of the research. Like as designers, we're not doing research for just research results, but we're doing it to, in the end, be able to come up with solutions. So then I think it makes sense to actually already, like, say we're doing research because we want to come up with solutions and that's our goal. So I think that's just a different way of putting, we first have to do research. No, we're actually, we want to improve the service, but we have to learn uh, what we do. It's not the research by itself, I would say. So that's, yeah. I understand how you said it, but for me, it doesn't feel like cheating there, but it's more like uh, explaining how you can make the right uh, decisions through uh, talking with users.
0: Who would like to ask the uh, final question?
1: Hello, uh, I have a question for Olga. I was really inspired by your action points. Uh, you were talking about hanging out with your users to you know, gain empathy. And then before you said something about uh, studios or agencies, the clients are their users. So that got me thinking like, yeah, I wanna hang out with my users more, not the users of my clients. Well, also of course. So I was wondering like what kind of
2: actions or what kind of things you do or might you do to hang out with your you know current customer or your future customer you mean m- me with my clients or or with their users no with your clients that's how users. i hang out with them <laughs> well hang out or gain empathy <laughs> i mean i said it just now also that we try to really build close relationships i think as i said it's a people business i think it's super important that we have trust from our clients and of course, in German, there's a, there's a saying where you say, Ich kann die Person riechen. Yeah, I can smell this person. And it means I get along. There's something like sympathy. There's something there. And I think that's always the first thing because we're a 10-people company, you know? Why do they hire us and not Fjord or not a huge design agency, you know? There has to be something, first of all, to build this relationship. And I think then it really is that I do once I have their trust, yeah? I also involve them a lot. And I am very transparent then in the sense of saying, okay, listen, we have done some research, we have found this out, I think we need to take a step back or I think you shouldn't do this app. And we don't just do what a client asks us to do, build me an app, you know, why? And I think it's, it's sometimes these questions that are uncomfortable also for them, and I mean, I founded the company five years ago. If I spoke to 50-plus-year-old men in top management at Bayer, and I'm like, you guys shouldn't do this. then like, who are you to tell us this? You know, like, what is your experience? And, and I think then you really build that relationship. And I try to see the people regularly. I invite them to come see us. They're coming to the service experience camp. You know, all of these small things where you create touch points to also keep in touch and see, okay, how is it going? What came of what we worked on f- with you and how can we push this further? And I think also a lot of times that we, as I said, there's, it goes through many different departments. So there might be one person who really wants to do something different, Yeah, wants to change the organization, wants to change the way they work. And once I have understood their Need, you know, then I, I can also help them to push through in an organization. And I think a lot of times we are not just a service provider, we're actually like a sparing partner for someone within an organization. And we try to grow that revolutionary vibe. Then, let's say, <laughs> great, thank you for your uh,
1: interesting questions. Thank you, Olga, thank you, Kara, for sharing your experiences uh, on human-centered organizations. We have a small gift for you, some uh, Belgian chocolates and game we use in our workshops. (laughs) Thank you for coming all the way here. Also, the audience, thank you for coming all the way here. And I would like to invite you to still uh, have a drink here at the bar and talk to uh, the speakers or talk to some of us. Thank you.
0: Thanks a lot. The Service Design Podcast was brought to you by the Service Design Network and Night Moves. For more information, previous episodes, or to join the conversation, please visit servicedesignpodcast.com. For more information about the Service Design Network, visit service-design-network.org. And for Night Moves, visit nightmoves.be. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to this podcast. The intro and outro music is from If the Stars Grow Dim Tonight, by hydrogen C featuring I Will I Swear. Until next time.